0: Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin, managing partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, This podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups. We'll uncover the stories behind the struggles, the ups, the downs guided from the view of an entrepreneur. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. all right i am very happy today because my guest is mark co the co-founder of Supa. for those of you who don't know Supa provides a self-service data annotation platform to enable machine learning models thank you very very much for being here with me today mark
1: amazing kevin thank you so much for having me this early morning
0: <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. So I love hearing the origin stories about every founder that I meet. So take me back. What is the founding story behind Supa? Wow.
1: Uh, Way back, actually. So a bit about myself. I I grew up in, I was born in Malaysia, grew up in Australia, decided to move back to Southeast Asia um, after about 15, 20 years in, in Sydney. The whole idea was just to set up a business out here, I felt as though there were lots of different opportunities um, at hand and the space was actually growing um, in Southeast Asia. It was getting a bit hotter. So I moved back to Kuala Lumpur. I set up a few different things. The the first was a clothing business. So now it's, I think about 12 years since that's been running. Um, It's called PMC. Um, It's a streetwear brand out here in Malaysia. The second thing was, an Australian data outsourcing business, right? And we were basically helping uh, companies in Australia um, outsource their data cleansing. So that was the original um, idea behind, you could say, Super. Um, And I ran it for a number of years, decided to then shut it down and set up another business called Superhands, which was the whole idea was to actually take Uh, people out of the office and to let them work remotely across the world. So have a borderless like office. And the initial idea was a virtual assistant uh, platform, essentially. So that ran in 2014 for a number of years, Tried to scale it up, had a lot of trouble because of the, the quality, because of the different types of jobs that we were kind of getting. And in 2019, 2018, 2019, we decided to pivot the whole business into something called data annotation or data labeling for machine learning. And that's where the whole idea of Super sort of came about. We started getting a lot of jobs from the West, um, primarily around images, and we decided to then build our own platform to allow this remote workforce to be able to work through. And um, today we've got this platform that allows companies across the world to basically label their, their data. Um, and it's mainly images that we work with.
0: No, that's, that's very cool. I, I love how the origin kind of goes through a few iterations of being cool. an entrepreneur, kind of moving around, seeing how the market is moving. You know. it, did you have a quantitative background to begin with, to move into a data area? I didn't. It's just an area I was just really interested in. Um, my background, well, I
1: actually love math, um, Finance economics was what I did at uni and then started to work in banking in Australia. But that was always sort of a passion for me, right? I always enjoyed like mathematics and working with a lot of people in that in the similar space. Hence why we decided to move into that space. And it was basically just numbers that we that we worked with.
0: Okay. And then having the this this concept of being able to enable people to work remote is quite prescient considering that the pandemic comes and forces. Uh, that that exact behavior, yeah,
1: exactly. And you know, in the day there was, I suppose, everyone had to come into the office space, right? <laughs> remote's quite a fa- a fairly new thing um, since obviously the pandemic, but we were ready for that when it hit because the, the workforce that we actually had there was seventy thousand of them across Southeast Asia, um, mainly Philippines, you know, Indonesia, Malaysia, and yeah they were we were, bit, were able to create work opportunities for them um through the platform itself
0: okay okay so th- tell me a little bit about getting the first couple of customers on board because this this goes back a number of years where at least in the southeast asia context it, you know machine learning uh, ai models was still relatively new it take it take me back how did, how did you end up getting your first customers on board when you were launching I think it was mainly outreach. So people started to reach out to us out here in Southeast Asia.
1: And, you know, we saw the opportunity. We started to scale the business into that particular space. So refocusing the whole business around that, because we realized that there was a big growth in AI. We realized that there were many industries wanting to move into AI, but they couldn't label enough data. A lot of the the big choke point was actually unstructured data. Um, and they needed to get these structured. So, and obviously you've got um, images, different the data points, right? You've got images, you've got video, you've got audio, um, text, but we decided to focus and hone in on one particular area which was the, the image, uh, computer vision side of things. Um, so, and a lot of it after that, in terms of how we grew it was a lot of outreach, so building up the SDR, the sales teams, um, and to build connections out in the West, so meaning having to do a lot of travel um, into the US, into different parts of Europe as well, um, but building visibility online has actually helped us substantially.
0: Okay, I, I feel like there's oftentimes a misconception when it comes to AI models that the annotation component of it, the, tur- the turning unstructured to structure, that layer of the activity is actually pretty labor intensive. Yeah, it's it's not just flip a switch and let a computer end up dictating everything. Tell tell me a little bit about when you, when you're going out into the customers, is there the same perception on their end in regards to the amount of work and labor that goes into the annotation process?
1: Definitely, right, and that's why I believe they reach out to us. You know, I think a lot of data scientists, machine learning engineers, um, CTOs, CEOs actually spend time um, not just building models, but also trying to train them, which means labeling the data. You have to annotate, and it's okay. It's you know, it's fairly easy to do a hundred, a 1, thousand yourself, but when you get to millions, it becomes extremely hard, and. You know, labor intensive. Yes, you can use machine learning to do it. So we do use a combination of machine and human, but to achieve a very high accuracy rate, you know, you do need uh, to move from like that 80% or the 90% to 99% is extremely hard. It does require you to label the edge cases, things which could be out of the ordinary. Right. And, and this is where, and you're only able to get the edge cases when you do, when you've done hundreds and hundreds of thousands of data points. So it's extremely labor intensive and it does take a lot of time. So for us, it's better um, if a data scientist or a machine learning engineer spends time um, to actually build and train and productize the models itself rather than spend time doing the labeling. Leave that to the experts to do because its it doesn't just require human, but also um, the product, the labeling work, the labeling um, Workflows, um, the quality control, the insights, the visualization. It's, it's a huge package that needs to be actually delivered
0: right and has has that historically been a limitation to where the largest of projects can end up moving on because you have deeper pockets in order to facilitate some of those labeling exercises whereas kind of the middle and smaller market where you know your mid size organizations that need it is is am, am i am i looking at that correctly that there that that historically has been a gap uh, because of that uh, labeling component definitely there is there is that that big gap where those with
1: deeper pockets uh, get access to to more data and hence are able to label more data itself so what we started to realize during the pandemic as well was that a lot of smaller companies started to pop up a lot of startups wanted to move into the space a lot of even larger organizations with smaller data science teams or machine learning teams needed to move into this space and started to build their own AI but they didn't have one the know-how, they didn't have the resource to actually do it. Sometimes talent could be an issue as well, um, especially in this part of the world, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we decided to build the self-service model for ourselves, apart from serving just enterprise, which is historically the DNA for super, which has always served the larger customer. Mm -hmm. But we realized that there were a lot of the smaller businesses um, out there who actually wanted to move into the space. So how do you help them? it's by allowing them to self-serve, not having to charge them a fixed um, costs on a monthly basis, give them the flexibility that they actually need um, to try, and basically the trial and error, their their models itself. So, so we started it, it, to build, yeah, that platform over the last um, couple of years.
0: So it's kind of a switch from I imagine the larger clients, it's a little bit more of like a managed service model to where it's, it's essentially the same product, but a lot more uh, hands on on your behalf. Whereas taking those learnings, you can productize it, standardize it to an extent and enable uh, the smaller clients to kind of pick and choose as a self-serve.
1: Yeah, we have basically productized what we've learned over the years through enterprise. I think that's the that's the main thing, right? Like most companies always start with self-serve first and then they move into enterprise. Mm. We decided to move into enterprise first and then try to find similarities to productize, uh, which I suppose has been extremely beneficial for us uh, because I think that's where the market for whole, the whole of AI has actually moved, right? It's always the guys with deeper pockets first and then, um, yeah, what happens to the other people? And for us, the mission is to help everyone how, how do you sort of get more and more people onto um how do you help more people build ai within their own organizations okay
0: so you touched on the talent aspect of it so I, i'm cu- i'm curious to know when you look at the talent because you're essentially crowdsourcing to an extent uh these data labor labelers in order to be able to have remote workforce how do you go about uh, acquiring this this source of of labor for for lack of a better way of putting it
1: i think talent there are two problems one is yes the the workforce itself but it's actually i think the engineering capability right uh, within asia pack that could be the roadblock so to build like models yes it's you know lines of code but to actually do labeling or do annotation it does require um, you to actually manage your own platform it does require companies to to have an, a team to actually dedicate to building and managing that labeling platform itself, that labeling pipeline, the data engineering side of things. So that's why um, that's that I think that's the, the the major hurdle that most companies actually face. Labeling is the second part, and that does require an educated workforce. Um, they they don't have to be physically in the office, but they do need to. To have powerful enough computers to be able to do and process that kind of work itself okay Okay. and to find i suppose how we found them it was i think finding a few good people first and we realized that good people always attract other good people friends have good friends so you know i suppose that that referral side of things has actually worked for us rather than just spraying and praying to to get Anyone onto the platform because yeah, that's not going to solve it.
0: Yeah, and so the, that ref, that referral network does that work on both sides of the the equation, not just on on your talent side of it, but as well on being able to acquire new customers. Where you know, oftentimes the same way that smart employees know other smart smart people, smart founders know other smart founders as well. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> we only refer all the good guys, right? Because it's our reputation
1: at stake. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Right. Uh, I think you, we do. Rec- we do um, get a lot of referrals from both sides of the coin. I think it's important um, that people know first. Building trust is huge because one, you're trusting an organization like Super with your data, and your data is 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 priceless. So. Trust is important. They need to trust the platform. They need to trust us who is actually dealing with their data. They need to be able to trust the workforce is actually working on that data. And likewise, on the other side, the agents or the workers need to trust us to make sure that we are paying them on time. They need to trust us that we are giving them legitimate work. And it's not things which could be out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So let, let me let me dig a little bit on, into this switch from enterprise into, into the self-service model. When you look at the go-to-market strategy, how different is it in the approach that you have to take for acquiring new customers? Can you tell me a little bit about how you go about that?
1: The go-to-market strategy mm. uh, from, okay, from yeah, enterprise versus the self-serve, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very different, right? I think the enterprise side does require you to build up your SDR team, your sales team, um, a lot of outreach that's required, um, a lot of networking. But I would say on the self-service side, it's actually quite similar, right? Because both of it ends up, how do you build trust? How do you trust this company, Super, who's based out here in Southeast Asia to get my data labeled and then to return it in a very safe way? So I think referrals is a, is a huge part for us. Um, I think this, on the second side, it still does require outreach and a lot of content. So we do focus a lot on the content strategy, content side um, of things. Uh, and that helps us to, I suppose, to build a bit of a growth story.
0: Okay. Okay. So there's, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit less uh, SDR driven, sales, sales, uh, salesperson driven, and a little bit more on the content, more on the referral, more of a product led uh, right. approach. That's yeah. The right. so more product led approach.
1: Um, yeah. Definitely a lot more marketing, I guess, activities that's actually required. We call it mm-hmm. demand generation. Yeah. Um, but, but it still does require you to get your feet on the ground to speak to people. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very hard to run away from that, right?
0: True, true. What what are the channels for demand generation that you see the most success out of? Is is it more producing content? Is it putting up ads? Is it what what is the ch- what is the channel that is doing the best lead gen?
1: I think content is a very long tail, mm-hmm. but it's something you got to do because it does help to build trust. It does help to build um, well SEO as well. Mm-hmm. On the I suppose on the on the other side, you know, you could have um, a lot of communities that you could actually work with. Um, that also helps to build visibility, um, to, to the platform itself. Okay,
0: so communities around a, a data AI scientists, now. AI modeling, those those sort of things. Division. okay, yeah, all that really really helps. Are, the, are those communities very localized? So is the, is there a lot of effort trying to track them down and saying, hey, I want to enter into San Francisco or London, or I want to get into Singapore, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Are they very localized? Those I don't communities think very localized at all. The whole
1: industry itself is is very fragmented mm. uh, it's not localized around a particular area particular language uh, we we okay we focus on the english language uh, but i feel like because of because everything's sort of online it's actually easy to build those connections um, across the people across across the world you don't have to uh i don't think it's localized to a particular area itself but certain Area, certain countries or certain areas are actually moving a lot quicker um, than others. And that's helped with a lot of learnings, right? Mm -hmm. Not just, um, you know, as a data scientist or a machine learning engineer, but as a founder, I'm able to get resource um, about startups, about building your own business from from anywhere. And it helps to accelerate that learning as well. So likewise with, I suppose, um, data annotation.
0: Okay, I'm I'm, I'm I, am, I am curious though because I hear I hear from a lot of founders about community led models and so forth. But I always do wonder when you're first kind of taking that approach, the identification process of who who are these communities that I need to go after? How do I integrate myself into those? Because you know, you enter into a community first day and all of a sudden you're put, you're blasting them with like solicitations of your services. How did you go about just like step one, step two of cracking into the community-led side?
1: I think that's, that's tough, right? you can't go in with a hard sell and that's, I think that's never the case. And that's never really been our approach, like going in anything with a hard sell. It's always about building that relationship, building that trust, that friendship. I think that's, more than important, and it creates visibility. Obviously, it helps on your Google rankings, your your search optimization. Uh, but yeah, I would from for us, you know, my approach. Even even talking to um, other founders, you know, it's never from a sales perspective uh, for us. It, it's always about how can I help you? How can I connect you to the right people? Um, that's gonna you know help you to achieve your goals. And vice versa, I think it will, if, it, if there is an opportunity for us, then it will happen naturally.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good advice for any founder out there that's doing uh, this, this sort of strategy is that you can't just go in with the hard sell. You have to build the relationships. You have to look to provide value and not asking for uh, value exactly. from somebody. Yeah? It's
1: the same thing from well, with fundraising, right? Mm-hmm. I suppose it's how can I help you? Um, yeah. can I connect you with? um Yeah. So rather than hey, this is what I want.
0: Right. Right. And it's relationship driven as well. So there's a, there's a, there's a little bit of a long tail aspect of being able to build those relationships over time.
1: Right. Visibility. Um, then the people hear about you. Do more. Builds trust. Okay.
0: Okay. Let Let me pivot back to the the content side because you you did talk about how it builds SEO. It can build trust. Is this mostly doing like case studies or how are you approaching putting out the contents, uh, establishing knowledge expert? uh, How are you approaching that area as well?
1: So we are experts in the whole space, right? On Mm -hmm. data annotation, especially within the computer vision space. We've been doing this for many, many years. We're labeling millions and millions of images for many, many companies across the world. So we've seen a lot. And it's about sharing, I guess, our our learnings, our experience um, over over the last few years. It's also so I would because because a lot of privacy and confidentiality within this space itself. It's more about our know-how. It's more about how we would think about providing quality, how we would think about visualization of data, how do we think about creating those insights, um, what we've learned along the way. I think these are this is valuable, right? It's not so much, this is a case study. Um, Yeah, you could do that, but I prefer the, the other approach of this is what I've learned. Maybe it might be suitable for you. Maybe it wouldn't be. But if I post enough stuff that might be of interest, then that again helps to build visibility for me and for trust.
0: Okay. And is it primarily on your website or are you trying to get into publications related to this field?
1: I think it's a it's a website as well as publications related to the field. Like you need to you need to be, uh, be you know, try different things. It's always about, there's no one thing that works. I feel within the whole, you know, startup space as well. It's about trial and error, right? You've got to test uh, A B test everything.
0: <laughs> know, it, it is you true. You're constantly about, like, yeah constantly iterating and trying to figure out which way is the way to go and it's 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 never the same like the, the lesson of one person is never going to be able to be replicated by another it's it may end up rhyming but it's not going to be a replicate yeah
1: yeah yeah that's right
0: okay so you so let, let, let me let me ask because you guys have been around for a little bit of time you've 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 grown substantially so i i just want to know a little bit about I guess the internal organization changes that have taken place over time as you've developed those processes, as you've developed the methodology on A-B testing in order to get those feedback loops faster. From day one to now, how, how much iteration have you gone through as, a com- as an organization? And what are some of the lessons that you've learned over that, over that time period?
1: <laughs> Lots of iterations. <laughs> change is a new constant, right? I don't know. It change, things change a lot. Um, you know, And especially during the pandemic, right? I think things you'd have to be really adaptive to the market. You need to know what's happening in the macroeconomic situation, like what's going on out there with inflation, mm. um, at this current stage, or how's that, how's that going to affect you? So a lot of changes would have to happen. Yes. You've got your standard processes that you've built over the years. Um, yeah you know within say the sales and marketing side you know there are ways that we do certain things but with the market changing you really have to adapt and customers change as well the users that we have actually change so what a lot of it is speaking to our users just asking them what they actually want and how they actually like to receive information um, how they like to be approached and learning from the different users that we've got i think that's the main thing always have that rapport with the users with the companies that you work with definitely that helps you to understand how to approach the market because every market's different Mm -hmm. yeah i think every market's very different so it's about really understanding where users from and what helps them to i guess to find you but within within super itself yeah, we've, there are a lot of changes that have happened from every single angle. We've had times when we have been scaling the team up dramatically, like really quickly. And there are times that we had to actually take, you know, um, take measures to actually control things, right? To control the,
0: the burn and control the hiring, um,
1: yeah, speed. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah yeah I think especially in the in the in the current time period it's the 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 burn is is top of mind for for a lot of people these days um, but when when you look at the organization and you're tra- and you're defining kind of what what success means uh, whether from the short term or the long term when you look at it how ha- how do you go about defining that and looking at yourself and saying okay how how am I going to actually say are we on track or not
1: yeah, we've got particular goals in place. So objectives, uh, key results, so okay. Yeah. Um I know, I th- I'm sure most organizations think about that. Uh, so yeah, we do have the objectives that we put down in place on a quarterly, quarterly basis. We do have um, team, like, so town halls happen on a monthly basis, but we also have um, smaller team meetings with um, say the product team and the technical teams, um, the leadership. That happen on a month-on-month basis right so pulling all hands in just really flushing things out so it's it's like it's like a monthly check-in that's actually required um, for us especially during this just time so we do these check-ins on a monthly basis we do have the goals that we're looking at on a quarter by quarter basis and it's basically trying to to measure right each of these initiatives that we're actually taking how well what's working and what is not So I think for us, it's trying to be as transparent with each other as possible, and obviously trying to be as honest as possible with each other. Um, So if things work great, if things don't work,
0: change it quick. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't. I I, I love throwing in the word "quick" on the change it quick. Yeah. Yeah, change things quick, right? I think I think
1: that's something that's really helped us a lot over the years. Um, It's really adapting quickly and making changes to the organization, to the team, um, as quickly as we need to.
0: And how how, how big of a role does the operating metrics and, and those sort of data points play in the regular management? Obviously, you, you said that you're creating the objectives and key results. Uh, but as far as like day to day, the kind of the data in your DNA uh, of an organization aspect of it?
1: Data runs the organization, so we do. We do have metrics that we look at on a daily basis. We do have metrics that we look at on a weekly basis, and then obviously on a monthly or quarterly basis. Um, so there are different types of measures that we're looking at. But I think the apart from the data, it's it's just easy to just look at that. Now, okay, great, yeah, it's working or it's not working. But I think understanding what happens behind that is crucial. So the leadership team is extremely close. I think that's been a massive thing for us, right? I've built so much trust with my leadership team that, that we're very honest with each other and we're, we're open with regards to how well things are going and what, what's working, what isn't working. So apart from looking at the data, understanding their feedback, I think is the main thing that has helped us um, a lot over the years, the transparency of the team.
0: Being, being able to attach kind of a narrative along with what the numbers are telling you. So that you can you are able to get a little bit of a layer deeper, not the what, but the why as well. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. And it's not just the leadership team, right? We also try to create a lot of transparency with the the whole organization um at a whole. So we we do a lot of feedback sessions that everyone gets one-on-ones with um, different people in the organization. There's skip level events, uh, meetings that actually happen. Uh, there are, there's something called, we call honest hour, where mm-hmm. people are able to write in to me directly, um, honestly, and without, you know, without their names, for example, to just give me feedback on things or how things are go, actually going. Um, you know We, we try to, cr- to create a very flat organization mm-hmm. where I've got office hours, open office hours that people can actually just lock in and say, right, I wanna have a quick chat to you regarding these things. Um, yeah, so I think obviously getting information from the bottom up and the top down is, is so important in terms of moving the organization at the pace that you need it to move at. Okay. okay. Yeah, and not
0: to have too many layers within
1: that organization itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, a lot of, a lot of information can kind of start falling apart as it goes from one layer to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, When you look at metrics, is there a single metric that acts as your North star? So when you're doing the all hands town hall meetings, is there like a single metric that you boil things down to as a top line? It Uh, is
1: a single metric. And and what is it
0: it, out of curiosity? It's activated uses. So
1: how do we get the number of people who have felt the aha moment or gone through the aha moment of your product itself. There is a particular part of the product that we have interviewed our users on. And they've said, this is why I decided to buy your product. It's this moment that I felt, man, this is amazing. I wish I could get more of this. So so we call that the aha moment and that's what we track um, actually on a daily basis.
0: I, I I love, I love the identification of the aha moment. I know a lot of people always struggle with how to define it, how to like validate it. And I, and I love how you actually went out to your customers, had the interviews, took, took that feedback from them and was able to get to it. So you, okay. So you're looking at the activated users. Do you also look at kind of that time to value or that time that it takes from them coming on to when they realize that value?
1: Yep. All that happens, you know, probably not on a daily basis. It's, mm. it, yeah, depending on time. So I think we do track a lot of things. Sometimes you get some massive overload of, of data points. So you do need to, to choose which one is, is yeah. the most important to you. Right. And within our industry itself, we understand that, um, there's a lot of testing people want to try and a lot of iterations happen on the product itself. Um, so data labeling, you'll never, you're not going to get the right answer straight away you need to iterate so it's a speed to iteration that's actually crucial about how you can rewrite your instructions how well how quickly you can get your results how well you can you know look at the data that you've actually received um so yeah so we there's a lot of things that we actually measure but it's choosing which one actually matters um to your industry and yeah to to your particular so sometimes our users could take months Mm -hmm. right sometimes it could take an hour so it it varies right and it's about understanding why why is it taking you so long or why is it so quick what is that emotion that you're actually feeling at that time during the aha moment what is the emotion and Uh. yeah so i suppose it's asking them just straight out
0: No, I, I I I love that. So when when you look at when you look at the the activations and getting people to that aha moment, is 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 there is is there a single thing, a decision, an activity, or an area of focus? Is there something along those sort of lines that when you talk to your team, you say we need to get this absolutely right so that we can maximize our odds of of hitting our targets on activated users? Is there something along those lines? Hmm. Is there a single? Is there a single thing? Mm. I know it's always hard to kind of boil it down because you're aggregating a whole lot of activities leading up to that.
1: Yeah, they, they are. So a lot of it for us, you know, our users um, sometimes a lot of it depends also on how well they're they're performing um, as well. So it depends on their uh, how much data they've actually got at that one time. So Mm -hmm. then that actually affects when they would actually go through the aha moment with us. Um, It could actually mean what kind of quality they're actually getting from the platform itself. And for us, we pride ourselves in helping the the user or the customer to actually get those insights to produce better quality, to get better quality data or better quality annotation on that platform itself, Mm -hmm. on the platform itself. Um, So it's always about looking at the quality and then understanding when they feel the most need
0: to actually uh, get results. Okay, okay. Very cool. Let's, uh, let's, let's shift over to the closing questions uh, that I ask every single person. Mm. Is there a tech tool that you cannot live without? Oh, is that the closing question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A tech tool that you just cannot live without. Oh. Hmm.
1: So, with regards to work, <laughs> tough. With not with regards to work, I actually have uh, a tool that I actually use. So, because as you know, I do a lot of outdoor sports. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my, what spend, is that? What is that one? My my day to day is an activity outdoors, right? Whether it's tennis, cycling, mountain biking, swimming, running. So strava is huge for me strava yeah yeah, yeah 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 i i like the data that they actually provide it helps me to understand my performance my body um, and i suppose how well i'm actually progressing against myself peers so i'm pretty competitive hmm. Sometimes it's a downfall. Uh,
0: <laughs> I mean, you're you're a founder, so in order to deal with all of that as well, you kind of have to be a little competitive. Well, maybe not just a little. You kind of need to be a lot competitive. <laughs> so
1: yes, that's that's huge. I, I do that a lot. Um, apart from that, for work work related, um, could be Google Keep. So note taking, I think it's huge. Okay. So I note take a lot. Whether I'm on the go, um, sometimes you know, um, in the car. Yeah. I know, I take a lot. I want to wake up in the mornings uh, yeah. before sleep.
0: Okay, very cool. Uh, last question. So, if you were to talk to another founder that is just getting started, what is the biggest piece of advice that you would offer?
1: I think the first idea you have generally will change a little bit. Don't expect that to be the end. Um, there will be there will be multiple iterations that you probably have to go through. To actually get that product market
0: fit. Yeah, I I love that. You know, be, you got to be flexible enough in order to shift uh, the idea. You can't be rigid and stuck on a single one because that's right. Uh, there's very yeah. few far, uh, startups out there that are still on the original idea. I can't. I, I don't think I can name one.
1: Yeah, they're very very few. Um, and if they do hit that, then that's extremely amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's about speaking to users, right? Just making sure you know your customer really well.
0: Yeah. Well, Mark, this, this was awesome. I th- Thank you very much for coming on. There's a lot of valuable lessons out of, out of this conversation. I very much appreciate it.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Kevin. Likewise, I truly appreciate it as well.
0: All right. That wraps it up for another fantastic episode of The Sea of Startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, Go on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin from Indelible Ventures, and this is The Sea of Startups.